Okay, here we go. All right, this week is Rosie's birthday, and we're excited that Rosie could join our story today. Um, tonight, it's customary to announce in the synagogue after, after davening, Yaakov went on his journey. And the reason for that is because after all of the uh, Tishrei season, with all the holidays, the goal of Hashem sending our soul to the world is not just to experience holidays, but it's to bring down all the holy experiences we had all, all this time and to bring it into the mundane. And on Matzi Shabbos, it's customary for people to sing a song, Al Tira Avdi Yaakov, don't be afraid, Yaakov, don't be afraid to go into the mundane, don't be afraid of what the Hasidus calls the great waters, referring to the worries about financial things and physical things. Don't be worried because, as we were discussing earlier today, God is with each of us in every place and every time and whatever we're doing. And therefore, the Torah tells us, Al-tira, don't be afraid. You may be going on your own journey. You may be going to, you're not going to uh, do a specific mitzvah. You're not going to shake an acid again, do lulav. You're going to do mundane personal things. But the Torah says, Al-tira, don't be afraid. Why shouldn't you be afraid? Because you're going with God. So on that note, I wanted to share with you a story which has personal meaning to me because of my experiences as a, a chaplain in the federal prisons, and I can really identify with the uh, with the sentiments that the author shares about her imprisonment. This is a story that was printed in the Ami magazine for Sukkis, uh, and the uh, author, of course, doesn't want to identify herself. Um, so the the name that she uses is a is a not a real name, Avishag Solomon. Um, this is her story um, and how she contended with a really, really hard situation, yet she was able to keep her head above water. And uh, in my experience visiting inmates, Jewish inmates in prison, I found that there are two different kinds of ways that people um, react to this experience. One is that they get older and they get immediately after going to prison. They ask themselves, what am I doing here? And they blame and they feel like a victim. And others, impossibly, they have this sense of, Hashem has sent me here, I'm here for a reason. And they thrive in this very, very, very difficult situation. And without any liberties that we're all used to. And somehow they, this neshama, this soul consciousness be able to feel how God is with them in, the, in these tribulations. So here's a story. This woman, uh, Avishak Solomon, was living in Miami in 2001. She was 22 years old. And um, she meets her friend Brenda. And Brenda says that this company that you used to work for, um, 72 employees in this company were arrested. Uh, Farber, it's not a real name, of the, all, all, all of the names in the companies are, are changed, but the Farber company has uh, 72 employees that were arrested by an FBI raid, and, uh, and your name was also on the list of the employees as the vice president, they're probably going to come for you too. She's like, 
I'm not the vice president. I was just an employee. And uh, I haven't worked there for over a year. There's no way they're going to possibly want to arrest me. It's impossible. She goes to the bank and she tries to take out money from the ATM machine. And when she goes to the ATM machine, they say, I'm sorry, uh, you can't take out funds. She goes to a teller. And the teller says to her, I'm sorry, the U.S. Attorney's Office has placed a lien on your account. You can't take any money out of your account. So she uh, calls up the U.S. Attorney's Office and she's like, what's going on? And they tell her that you are um, you're, you are part of the Farber Company and you are therefore going to be uh, you're accused together with everyone else in this company, senior, in a senior position, with the fraud and the uh, the, 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 in the, the reportings of their earnings, and their taxes, you as a senior, as a senior vice president, you are going to be incriminated as well. She says, but I, I'm not the vice president. It's all a mistake. Can I come over and clear this up? So the man who answered the phone says, yes, come to our office and we'll discuss it. She comes to the office and they speak to her for two and a half hours. And somehow, every sentence she says, she suddenly felt like it was manipulated and changed and, and it was something else. And, and basically, the one who interrogated her sums it all up and says, you are listed as a vice president of this company. This company has committed this crime, and therefore you're under arrest. And they say this very uh, friendly, very uh, coolly, and then they place the handcuffs on her, and they lead her to uh, to prison. And she describes the pain that she had in her in her arms, in her hands. And when she left the this interrogation, she saw her friend Brenda. She had asked to come with her, and they told her you can't even take your what's it called? Uh, um, what's it called, Rosie? A ponytail holder. Can't take anything with you. Why not? Because anything can be used as a weapon. And so she sees Brenda and she says, Brenda, please go tell my mother some kind of excuse of why I'm here. Because I don't, I know, I'm sure I'm going to clear this up in a couple of days. I don't want my parents to hear that I'm in prison. It's going to help you, you know, grief stricken. Let's make up some kind of pretext of where I am so that they won't worry about me. Here's my phone. Here's all my things. And tell them some kind of reason of why I am here. Now, this Avishak had been connected with the Chabad house in from Miami, Rabbi Korf's Chabad Center, and she had made significant steps in her Judaism. She wasn't; she came from a, a, a very fine Moroccan traditional family, and was living in Israel. And she had come to Miami to see a new country, try to earn some money, and. She had made some some real steps in her Judaism, and uh, now this happened to her. So, so she said, "Please contact Rabbi Korf and tell him Rabbi Korf what's going on." She was in the in the system of prisons. There are various kinds of jails depending on the crime, and there are various um, holding cells. The way where the conditions are a lot rougher than in a regular full-time cell, and they placed her first in a uh, in one cell, and then they brought her to a second cell where there were eleven beds and twenty-two inmates, 
I'm sorry, eleven bunk beds, and she, she, she describes you know the, the, there's no lack there's lack of privacy, there's no place to be alone, and how and how difficult she, she and how and how hard it was for her, and they um, wake her up in the morning at two thirty in the morning. They do fingerprinting for fingerprinting, and they tell her that she's going to be taken to another jail. This is just a reception a reception center. They're going to be taking her to another jail. They take her, and she says to the nurse, who she met there at the reception center, I need kosher food. She says, no problem, you'll have kosher food. They take her to the, the jail, and at 5 o'clock in the morning, they wake her up, and they tell her, chow time. Chow time, they serve all the prisoners. Breakfast, what's breakfast? Breakfast is trefe meat, trefe meat, non-kosher meat, and she can't, Imagine eating this stuff. What are they doing? Everyone's eating this at five o'clock in the morning. And she had just started keeping kosher, but she decided, I'm not going to do this. She says, The only thing that can keep me sane in this situation is my connection to God. I'm not going to let go on the kosher. But she asked one of the wardens, Can I please have kosher food? Yes. Um, just uh, uh, what's what's your number? She tells them, My name is Avishak Salman. You know, What's your number? And again, it's very humiliating. She's, she goes from being a person to a number. And she says, I'm sorry, you don't have any, uh, you're not on the list of getting kosher food yet. You have to first speak to the chaplain. Speak to the chaplain. There's a lot of bureaucracy in prison. And there's not, the very, every prison is really its own institution, their own rules. And people really have a very hard time. They're very alone there. And that's why Aleph's motto, the Chabad institution, the Chabad program for Jews who are incarcerated, their slogan is, no one alone, no one forgotten, because that's how it feels when you're in jail. You, 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 know, you have no rights, and uh, you can complain, and you can complain, but in, it's, it's very unlikely that, that uh, you'll be successful in a court against the wardens and the, and the, the, the officers in, in the, in the uh, institution. Either way, she has no kosher food. So what she decides is she's going to drink uh, water and have fruit, and that's it. She'll have fruit and water. And she's going on like this for days. For three days, all she has is her fruit and water. And one of the inmates who no one wanted to mess with was Layla Duncan. Layla Duncan had a very strong biceps, big biceps, and a big golden ring in her nose. And she says, Hey, Simon, you... You're not eating. I notice you're not eating. Why aren't you eating? She says, I can only eat things which have a kosher symbol on them. Kosher symbol. So she goes to under her bed and she pulls out a, a box of crackers, which has an OU on it. She says, like, something like this? She says, yeah, something like that. It's here. She knew that Layla Duncan never gave anybody anything without getting paid. She says, I'm sorry, I have nothing to give you for that. It doesn't matter. I see you're doing this for God. I want to do this for God also. And she gives her the crackers which really were a godsend it revived her imagine three days four days without anything except for uh fruit and water not a lot of fruit just the the, the fruit that was given alongside with 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 the meal so this is how she's going through prison and on the seventh day of her incarceration she is meant to go to a bail hearing and she sees Rabbi Korf and many other, other members of the community in Miami would all come to support her. And 
the judge says that the bail is set for $250,000. A person she had never seen before, who has some kind of automobile business, he says to Rabbi Korifari out loud, I'm going to put my whole business and my house on its collateral for this, for the bail. doesn't matter. And she doesn't know who this is, and she looks at Rabbi Korif, like, what is that? Rabbi Korif mouths, the greatest charity of all is to rescue someone who's been in captivity. That's why this person doesn't know you, is doing this. And, and he tells her, God will help you. You're going to get out of this. But she had, she she really was in a very terrible um, situation because she had no idea where this was coming from and why this was happening because she didn't, she's accused of a crime. Not only did she not commit, she didn't even know how to commit it. So at this hearing, the judge said that the, um, they, they, they can't post the bill right now. They have to, it's going to be delayed for another month. So she's all upset, and her mother calls her up. Her mother says, Avishak, why did you do this? Mom, I didn't do this. You know, I, unfortunately, people in prison have get a bad, bad rep because a lot of them make up all kinds of reasons why they're accused, why they're accused, why the crimes aren't true. Um, and you don't really meet people in prison who say, yes, I'm wrong, it was a mistake. It's, it's, it's rare. So her mother was very skeptical as well. Why are you there? And she was thinking to herself, why am I here? And it took her some time until she was able to mouth the words, God has sent me here to do something that I don't know what it is. That's the real reason. That's what's going on. And that thought is what empowered her. She realized that all the things that were going on, she had no control over anything. The only thing she could control were her thoughts. The only thing she could control was, was her mind. And that really gave her some strength, that she had something that she could control. And she kept that thought in her mind. And she, she felt, when she made that, made that, that connection to God and that, that, that awareness, it suddenly illuminated everything that was going on in her, where she was. For example, uh, she said that the first day that she came to prison, she wanted to wash Negelvas. She wanted to wash her hands in the morning, but there was no washing cup. And she was thinking, what do I do? But then she remembered. She was at a Torah class, and people were lining up after the Torah class to ask this rabbi some questions. And one lady asked, hey, if I'm in a mall and there's no washing cup, what should I do? So the rabbi demonstrated and, and, and with a faucet in his shoulder, as you, you press the faucet, you turn it off, you press it again, and for each hand, you're allowed to do one pouring. So if, you, if your custom is, as a Chabad custom, to do um, three pourings in each hand, you have to open and close the faucet for each hand for all six times. So, she said, ah, I know what to do. I know how, how this mitzvah has to be done. And she decided she's going to keep the mitzvahs that she was keeping before she was incarcerated. Every day, she would have shachras, and she would have mincha, and mairif, and she would say Chumash. And she wanted to somehow celebrate Shabbos. How should she, should she celebrate Shabbos there in, in, this, in this prison? So every Thursday, she would wash her shirt in honor of Shabbos. And on Shabbos, in addition to, to reciting daily Chumash, she read the whole Chumash of the week with Rashi to add some other layer of holiness. And what she noticed was that this had an effect on the other inmates. She noticed that while she was praying the other inmates wouldn't engage in foul language and they were quieter. They just felt differently in the presence of her prayers. And she was seeing 
the impact and the role that she had in the prison. But then came the Yontif of, of Pesach. And what's she going to do? How is she going to celebrate Pesach? How is she going to get kosher food? She, uh, she, Baruch Hashem, she was officially supposed to get kosher food. At the, by this time, the chaplain had already put on the list of kosher food. I think, I think it was after 12 days of her incarceration. Finally, she was able to get kosher food. But the night of Pesach, she opens up her meal and she sees breadcrumbs on the fish. This can't be kosher for Passover, breadcrumbs. So she does need it. And all she has is three matzahs and water. And she realizes that these three matzahs are going to have to tide her over till after Passover. So she has four cups of water for her Seder and a, and a minimal amount of matzah. So she's able to save some for eight days. And, uh, and she just doesn't know what she's going to do. The next day, they serve breakfast to all the inmates, and she tells the, the person serving the food that she can't have the regular food, all she can have is fruit. It's her holiday, so the lady says, oh, I know what to do. I will give you an apple and two oranges, and uh, that way you'll have something more. So that was what the lady said who was serving the food, and then, and then she was able to give more, she was able to give a, a, a significant amount of fruit, at the end. But then the chaplain found out about it. And chaplain in, in prison, it's horrible, but every, every staff member in the prison feels very arrogant about their position. They're very like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge. I, I could do this. I'm, I'm, I, this is my, my role. So the chaplain found out that because of religious reasons, this lady is having an apple and two oranges. How, how come it didn't come through his office? So he stopped it. He said, no, don't, don't give her anything, other extra fruit. What should she do? So she went to the chaplain. She said, listen, I need kosher food for Passover. So he said, I will look into it. But the next day, it stopped. She couldn't get the extra fruit, and she was really suffering. But, but miraculously, there was 21 inmates with her. Every single inmate did not eat their unpeeled fruit, and gave her their fruit every day of Passover. They gave her 21 fruits for every day of Passover. So she had, Baruch Hashem, quite a lot of fruits to tide her over until the last day of Passover. And the end of Passover, all the inmates came and they clapped their hands, applauding her, Baruch Hashem, now you're able to eat food. They're all so happy for her that she survived Passover. That's the impact that she made on these non-Jewish inmates. Anyways, her, her lawyer calls her, and her lawyer says, we have good news and we have bad news. What, what do you like to hear, the good news or the bad news? She says, tell me the good news first, because if I can't hear, because I need to have good news to give me some strength before I can hear any bad news. So the, the good news is, they're going to transfer you to a federal prison before your hearing in the next three, in, which, is going to, which has been delayed and pushed off for three months. Well, why is it pushed off for three months? The lawyer says, listen, it, it looks like that the feds want you to accept a plea bargain, which I advise you to accept, because the, um, the alternative is they'll keep you here for six or, six or seven years, and they're, they're asking you only to, to, to accept a plea bargain of 13 or 14 months. 
And by, by the fact that they're pushing you off, and it's, it seems like that's, that's what they're trying to do. They don't want to deal with your case. They, don't re- they realize you're not really one of the main, main people. They just want you to accept the plea bargain and to, uh, and to clarify what the role was of, your, of the senior positions, of the senior um, officers in this, in this company. She's like, no way. I'm not going to admit guilt of crime I didn't commit. Why would I do that? Very naive statement. Unfortunately, uh, the right thing is to accept the plea bargain because what the lawyer was saying was true. She calls her mother. Her mother says, of course you should accept the plea bargain. You don't know what they're going to do to you. I didn't do this, mom. I know you didn't do this, my honey, but this is what's going on. You have to accept this. And she didn't really know what she should do. And her mother says, listen, you always talk to God. You talk to God and ask God what to do. And she, it was true. Since she was incarcerated, she started this new practice of speaking to Hashem openly and honestly and candidly. Hashem, what should I do? She was davening. And another inmate who never speaks to her, who she wouldn't really consider confining in her either, hey, you look a little spacey today, and you had a visitor. It's, that's, it's Friday, what's going on? And she told her, she says, I'm telling you, that you're, no, it's no question. You have to accept the plea bargain. Anyways, she agreed to accept the plea bargain, and she was moved to a new prison. But unfortunately, her stay was very short. In the better in this in this prison that was that was very much better at conditions, she she describes how happy she was when she got to the federal prison, as she was able to turn on the light and turn off the light. She had some freedom. That's how. She cherished that. Wow, I'm able to turn it on and off the light. It, it just meant so much to her. And she had a Jewish neighbor, Rina. And she talked about how she would wake up Rina every morning, Boker Tov. And Rina was like, why is it Tov? And she had to, and she had, she had to inspire her, her roommate. And she felt like an identity. Anyways, they shipped her off 11 hours away to another far off prison. And she's thinking, why am I here? And she meets Rabbi Katz from the Aleph Institute before she sent off. Says, Rabbi Katz, why is this happening? Rabbi Katz said, I guess there must be a mission for you there. And sure enough, when she gets there, Rabbi Urechman, the Rebbe's emissary to uh, the capital of Florida, Tallahassee, uh, manages to visit her and to talk to her. And when the chaplain saw how this rabbi was so dedicated to reach out to this one inmate and to give her books and to help her, he said to her, you know, I think there are other Jewish inmates here and they would all appreciate having a rabbi come here full time, come here to, to do services every so often. It's a great idea. And she became like this beacon of faith and trust in God and she invited, and she arranged, because she was there, that Rabbi Urchman would do these classes for all the inmates in this, in this facility. Make a long story a little shorter. Baruch Hashem, uh, well, when she came before the judge, the judge says, "What? Fourteen months for this? People are just going to say that you get a, you, you go to jail and, and for fourteen months for such a crime? This is not going to fly with me. The plea, the plea bargain is acceptable. It has to be a minimum of twenty months." So she was in prison until the following uh, Tishrei, the end of, in, in the middle of Tishrei before Sukkot, she was freed, Baruch Hashem, and uh, but she said that. Even though she's freed, she's always remember her time in prison and remember the connection she made with Hashem, this identity that she has, she knows wherever she goes, she's always an emissary of Hashem. And similarly, no matter what's going on 
in everyone's life, each of our lives, to think about how Hashem tells us, don't be afraid wherever you're going, you're not going by yourself. In the words of the Rebbe, in every place, in every time, in every experience, Eivisha goes with us to fulfill the goal of creation, which is to bring the coming of Mashiach. And that's what we're up to. We're not in prison. We're with Hashem. And uh, we're, we're about to uh, get out of this Golis and to see the, the Gula. So meanwhile, we have to go with, as in the words of the Rebbe, with a sense of security and joy and gladness of heart, until we see the good stuff, until we see the B'yasa Mashiach, the of Mamash. And that was the story I wanted to share. A good vach, David. A good vach, Rebarel. A good vach, Yuda. good vach, Rosie. Any questions or comments? Oh, the sound's off. No, sound's not off. Great story. Thank you very much. All right. A good vach. A good vach. Thank you.